The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 194 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are that of my own, not that of my president or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence that we're privileged to as a result of my current employment, and I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during the show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone to go online to the Cybersecurity Hub and get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at their very cool website, cshub.com. The Cybersecurity Hub is an online news source for global cybersecurity professionals and business leaders who leverage technology and services to secure their networks. The media professionals at the Cybersecurity Hub are dedicated to providing the latest industry news, thought leadership, and analysis in the cybersecurity space. So again, check out a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news. Go to Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Well, I hope you had a chance to catch last week's episode with George hosted the CEO of Imagine Security, David Soko. They talked about what is on the CISO's mind today and how the role is changing. Man, how some describe it as the best and worst job in the industry. It's tough being a CISO these days. There's tons of stuff going on and there's constant pressure managing up, managing down. Uh, They did a great job of discussing how the next-gen CISO needs to be more business trained and can quantify risks to the business and how they should be planning for the future. Folks, all that and much, much more in episode 193 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, I'm pleased to announce that Task Force 7, the TF7 sneakers dropped, folks. Check them out at aliveshoes.com slash task dash force dash seven. Super excited about them. They're meant to honor all of those who run the crisis on a daily basis and recognize that everyone has their own personal crisis. My hope is that when you see or wear these shoes, the TF7s, you get the confidence to run to your own personal crisis and know you're not alone. At TF7, we run the crisis together. You're part of the family. Check out the shoes, aliveshoes.com slash task dash force dash seven. Well, folks, we got my buddy from down under in Australia, Mr. Brendan Reed on the show tonight. I'm super excited about it. We worked cases together back in the day, and it's been a long time since we caught up. So I'm super excited to have him. It's a long time coming. Brendan Reed is a partner in the cybersecurity forensic practice at Corda Mentha and is based in Brisbane, Australia. He is an expert in digital forensics and incident response investigations, a former detective from the Queensland Police High-Tech Crime Unit, High-Tech Crime Investigations Unit. Uh, His experience is investigating criminal civil matters, helping clients navigate technologies and their their use and collection and preservation of evidence. With over 19 years of experience in giving evidence in criminal and civil cases, Brendan assists clients in stressful situations by clarifying technology. He specializes in investigation of cyber incidents and has open collaborative, collaborative style. I think you'll find that on the show tonight. Oh, this guy, is, he's a champ. I'm super pumped. He, uh, he also communicates very clearly with any audience, regardless of the complexity of the situation. He's been appointed as an independent expert in matters before the Supreme Court of Queensland and Queensland Industrial Relations Commission related to matters of intellectual property theft, fraud, misconduct, as well as civil matters. 
Brennan has extensive experience in the preparation of expert reports, affidavits, and giving oral testimony in criminal and civil proceedings. Within the community, Brennan is the current secretary for Brisbane at the chapter of the Association of Fraud Investigators. It's my pleasure to introduce partner at Quarter Mentha Forensic in Australia from down under my main man, Mr. Brendan Reed. Brendan, how you been, buddy? Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio. I'm good, Andy, mate. Great to chat to you again. I appreciate you throwing out the mate for me, man. I needed that. That's, that, that, that <laughs> reminds me of like when we worked together back in the day when we were both in law enforcement patrolling those mean digital streets. Um, but uh, now you're killing it down there, man. And, uh, you know, partner working forensics, big cases, driving, you know, capabilities for major clients. But I, I'm curious, man, I, I know I've talked about my transition from law enforcement to the private sector, but I'd love to just kind of get a little bit of, you know, your background. It's a cool one. Um, and just, you know, talk a little bit about the transition from going from law enforcement to, to the private sector. Yeah, sure. Andy, no worries at all, mate. So, um, started uh, in the Queensland Police is pretty much where my sort of first IT-based role was. I was a detective uh, in the Queensland Police. Um, my role there towards the end of my career in the police was in the uh, high-tech crime investigation unit. And uh, that was a really interesting role there and, and the sort of work that we were doing uh, back then, which we're talking oh, mate, over 15 years ago now. Um, a whole lot of covert online investigations um, and really sort of eye-opening stuff. And I ended up uh, leaving that awesome role and then stepping over to the private sector, going into one of the big four consultancy firms into their forensic team uh, and working there for a few years and then um, stepping across uh, from that role into a, a boutique firm, a, an advisory and investment firm called Quartamenta, uh, where I'm a partner there in their cyber and sort of technology team there. And and Andy, I, I guess to answer your question, it, it was a real transition to go from law enforcement yeah. um, across to that private sector. It is a different environment. Um Obviously, uh, getting used to the fact that you didn't have the same powers that you did back in law enforcement <laughs> days. Yeah, for sure. But then it sort of, I, I think, mate, it really helps you to um, expand on your thinking sort of outside the box. How You know, you've still got to tackle the same sort of problems for clients, right? So, you know, how do you then get a, an awesome result for a client, even though you don't have the leverage of those powers there that you can sort of lean on? So, you know, you look at other ways to upskill and, you know, and, and bring that um, those skills into your um, ability to to service those clients, and that's you know that's what we've had to do. Um, but yeah, mate, it's um, it's been a great great uh, career for me. Great, yeah, uh, I haven't looked back at all. I, I've yeah. been yeah, and that's a great feeling too, right? To know that you kind of like there's no regrets. I mean, so when I when I left and when I went into a similar role that you were in at your first kind of transition, right? And and for me, it was really helpful because I felt like I was still around like-minded people working on similar things. So from, you know, leaving that public sector to, you know, working in a, in a business and a corporation, um, that was a really important thing for me, I think, to help me with my transition. Like, what was the, you know, what helped you feel comfortable navigating the business landscape after you left? Look, I think, Andy, like it, it was a bit daunting when I was sort of making that step and thinking, you know, how's this going to work um, going from government to private? But look, to be honest, I, I felt like I stepped into an environment um, of people that were very much 
uh, keen to perform at the top level, uh, produce great results. So, you know, you're part of this high-performing team. I came into that team um, with those same sort of uh, mindset and and wanting to uh, produce great results. And I think um, operating at that level, it was, sort of e- it was a lot easier for me then to, to be engaged um, and to – to, to sort of fit into that team. And what I liked is the fact that, you know, you've got people sitting beside you who are just as hardworking that want to get those same sort of results that, that you're looking to get as well. So it was fair for me, it was a bit of a win-win. Yeah. It's, that, it's great to hear, man. It's, it doesn't always work out that way. You know, like we had a lot of <laughs> colleagues that, you know, that, you know, kind of were like, Oh, I couldn't, they couldn't let go, you know, they had to go back mm-hmm. and, um, they're always looking over their shoulder in terms of their decision. So it's great to hear that, you know, things are going really well and that worked out well. So man, mm-hmm. get, you know, <clears throat> we got a lot to cover here, brother. So, yeah, you know, the, you know, the cyber landscape in Australia, when we, you, you and I were working together, you know, 15, whatever, you know, 20 pounds ago for me, I don't know about for you, but, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, was a lot different, right? I mean, the companies were still trying to figure out, like, do they want to disclose their, um, do how, you know, the, the companies were struggling, like, do we want to be victims um, and claim it? And what's our brand reputation? I just remember there being like some real conversations around all that stuff. Like, what's the cyber landscape in Australia right now? Yeah, look, yeah. Um, look, just on what you were saying there, mate, I'm sort of thinking back to my time in the, in the police and, and sort of the investigations I was doing then and just, Mate, it was like um, a bit of the Wild West sort of thing online where you'd have these companies that would be setting up these websites and, you know, they'd be adding these shopping carts to these websites and there was just no security around these shopping carts and, you know, people were purchasing things through these um, online portals and then all these credit cards getting compromised and there was just no real, from an Australian perspective, um, we were very much behind the eight ball and it was sort of just a whole lot of catching up. Um, that had to happen. And then sort of you fast forward now, mate, and um, I was going to give you a quote um, that I thought was sort of very sort of resonated with me. And this was one from Andrew Hasty, who's the, he's the current assistant, the assistant minister for defense in Australia. And uh, what he said just recently was uh, cyber is a battlefield. You know, if you own a smartphone or you're connected in any way, you are on that battlefield. And we are in a new era We've always thought about war in terms of air, sea, and land. We now need to start thinking about it in terms of cyber. So, um, you know, it's, it, that's pretty much, that's the tone from, uh, from government now, from the federal government in relation to sort of where things are at in regards to cyber. So, it's a, you know, it's a really big shift. And, mate, at the moment, we're seeing one cyber strike every eight minutes, um, and that's just continuing to get worse and worse in terms of the trajectory that we're, we're sort of heading into and just to give your listeners some idea of um, what that sort of translates to. And in 2020, the Australian Cybersecurity Centre received um, 67,500 cybercrime reports um, with a self-reported loss uh, for those uh, incidents, roughly at around $33 billion. Um, And a quarter of those attacks were associated with critical infrastructure as well. So, Mate, we've, from an Australian perspective, we're dealing with a really sort of serious um, cyber uh, threat landscape. Um, so that's, yeah. So you've been busy. 
mate. <laughs> mate, very, very busy. <laughs> yeah, and obviously, and then you look at something like COVID, right? COVID's come in and then that's just turned it on its head even worse. You know, like you've got all these companies that got thrown into having to work remotely that just you know, a lot. I don't know how much you know about what's going on in Australia with COVID, but you've got states that is, you know, cities and states that are in lockdown, and um, you know, you know, we're, we've we've had COVID now for quite a while, but we're still in these lockdown scenarios here in Australia, and these companies that were thrown into that very quickly, who weren't prepared to work remotely, didn't have a capability for a remote working force or the technology in place, and then you know, you can only imagine. What that's now, um, what's happened with that, and and all the extra um, threats that come with that. Not only just from your employees not really knowing what they're doing on the home front and plugging into all sorts of networks and devices into their work computers, but just uh, not knowing the risks. You know, um, not not being in the office and and um, not having the right security around um, their you know their endpoints, their laptops and and phones and things, and and obviously becoming victims. So, you know, in your role like as a partner, right, you're obviously interacting at all levels, you know, probably mainly at the board, you know, a lot in some of these breach scenarios. You know, I felt like, you know, years ago when I was, help, you know, hanging out down there doing stuff, it was definitely like just scratching the surface at the board level. Obviously, now everyone's aware of it. Um, from your perspective, man, what, what do you think executive teams and boards in Australia, you know, are doing to prepare? Like, are they doing enough? Like, what's the, how are they receiving this threat and the severity of it? Yeah, look, I'd say, um, mates, some boards definitely are looking at it and taking it seriously, but I'd I'd also say equally some aren't. But, you know, in relation to the ones that aren't, I'd also even put into that category um, boards that, they're not actually tapping into the right advice. So they might be just talking to their internal IT teams, for example, um, and those internal IT teams, whether, you know, it might be a, an issue where it's just not the right skill set that's in there, um, not the right capability or bandwidth to be able to deal with, um, you know, looking at these types of threats. But they're reporting back to the board saying, yeah, we're all good, you know, no issues here. Um, so the board, from, from their perspective, they think they're all okay, um, but they're really in a situation where, um, it's just a statistic waiting to happen. So we've got those sorts of scenarios, but then you've got the companies that aren't actually doing anything at all. Um, and again, you come back to COVID, you know, organisations just don't have, you know, at the moment, there's a lot of companies that are struggling, cash flow problems, just don't have that money to invest into um, cyber risk uh, and mitigation strategies. But, you know, I, you know, whenever I'm in front of a board and I'm talking to them, I'm saying, you know, you just, you need to start your roadmap towards uh, mitigating risk you can't be expected to do everything at, you know in the first you know couple of months but at least start a start a process to work towards a roadmap to getting there you know and there's some really high level stuff um, that organizations can be doing to start trying to mitigate those risks um, and it's important that they take those initial steps because we're starting to see um, you know the government, you know, increasing the legislation around this space. You got, um, we've got government regulators moving in um, that are taking these cyber threats uh, very seriously. So if an organization isn't taking appropriate steps to mitigate those risks, that there will be um, implications for that and enforcement of that uh, by the regulators. So yeah. I, yeah, I definitely want to uh, dig into that, dude, because there's a lot, 
there's a lot there, I suspect. So let's let's do this. We got to transition to commercial break. So hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram at searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family and your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with partner Cordamenta Forensics in Australia, my main man, Mr. Brendan Reed. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with partner at Cordamenta Forensic in Australia, Brendan Reed. All right, Money, I got a question for you. 
you started to bring up the uh, the policy space, you know, and how the government is starting to really start cracking down a little bit. Give us a flavor on, you know, what's going on with critical infrastructure bills and um, how the government's weighing in and taking a little more significant and, uh, a, you know, stronger stance on cyber. Yeah, sure thing, mate. So, um, yeah, definitely um, we're seeing some change in that landscape. So the Australian government has released a new cybersecurity strategy for 2020. Um, or in 2020, they released it. And uh, basically that strategy had replaced a previous strategy, um, which I think was around 2016, that last strategy had been developed. But the reason, uh, the um, the... Yeah, the main reason why this new strategy has come into play is because of the increased res- risk of cyber incidents um, that are now facing Australia. So in particular, mate, um, one of those um, new changes in policy that they're pushing through is one called the Critical Infrastructure Bill. Um, and that's around uh, 10th of December 2020. The Minister for Home Affairs uh, so introduced the Security Legislation Amendment, uh, the Critical Infrastructure Bill uh, 2020 to Parliament. And that Basically, what that means is the bill um, seeks to amend the current infrastructure, Critical Infrastructure Act, and expand its coverage. Where originally it was looking at four sectors um, of uh, critical infrastructure being electricity, gas, water, and, and ports. And now that's blown out to 11 uh, critical infrastructure sectors. So, man, we're looking at a whole range of different things um, that it's moving into transport, water and sewerage, um, food and grocery, higher education, a whole range of different things, mate. May that's going to keep you busy, bro. Cause like, you know, like look here in the U S where we've got 16 critical infrastructure sectors. We've been, you know, we've had them now for, you know, it's been a little bit and, mm. you know, even within the designation of critical infrastructure, you know, industries, uh, here in the U S not everybody, you know, is applying the same or, you know, level of, maturity and, and focus to cyber. I think now it's starting to shift as what you mentioned earlier, that, you know, concept of, um, you know, if you're connected, you're on the, you're on the battlefield, you know, there's mm. a big shift here around, um, you know, com- competition, like between nations in the, in, in the scenario of, um, you know, kind of looking at it from a perspective of like, all right, how much, how strict do we get when we want to balance national security and commerce, right? Mm. And kind of like how, how, where do we want to be in that spectrum? So I think each of those infrastructures uh, or sectors, you know, are certainly, certainly, you know, fit in different places. And so, you know, in the U S the financial sector is like really heavy. Others, you know, followed suit. Some of those other 16, you know, are just now kind of coming to play. So like, as they get designated, man, you're going to get real busy as they're looking for, (laughs) I'm guessing, you know, those, uh, programmatic approaches to start just to kick some stuff off. Um, but what are you seeing in terms of their reaction to the bill and, you know, the, you know, the expectation now that they're going to have to invest in a whole bunch of things that they probably weren't <laughs> ready for, you know, in their budget. Yeah, mate. And, and also to that point, you know, when they were setting up their, their IT ecosystems and infrastructure, they, they may not have necessarily had this in mind at that point. And now, so retrospectively, got to look back and go, shit, how do we, how do we actually comply with this new uh, critical infrastructure bill? Like, how much is that going to cost us? What's that actually going to mean? And, mate, one of the sectors I just wanted to really point out was the healthcare and medical sector. And 
that's one that's been sort of very much targeted here in Australia. And, and I know, you know, um, as you know, there's uh, plenty of instances where we've had major ransomware attacks, um, you know, in that um, healthcare sector around the world, on the UK and so forth. Yep. And in, in Australia, like just recently, you know, we've got these uh, organisa- these healthcare organisations that are hit with these ransomware attacks. And, you know, you go to the hospital and they're going back to pen and paper to try and, and deal with uh, patients coming in and trying to do operations and all this sort of stuff. So, mate, it's... Um, yeah, it's uh, it's something that needs to happen in terms of the government stepping in and, and sort of assisting. Um, and you've got these massive behemoth-type organisations, these massive IT infrastructure networks that, um, you know, that they need to be protected because they're so important to everyday sort of life. So, um, uh, yeah, mate, I think, um, I, I think it's a good thing that the government has... Um, you know, up the ante and sort of, and done this. But in terms of your question, Andy, there is definitely some pushback from uh, organisations in relation to this. But I did read um, an article recently in relation to the the Australian Department of Defence where they were saying that there was a major ransomware attack on an organisation here in Australia in one of the critical infrastructure areas and they were reaching out to that organisation to ask if they needed any assistance and they just weren't getting the response that they were expecting um, or a lack of response. And and then that same organisation was hit with another ransomware attack again. And basically what they're saying is, you know, we can't, we can't sit around and, and allow those critical infrastructure assets um, to be managed in that way when there's a major incident major cyber incident happening. So to have that leverage to be able to come in and be able to assist um, is paramount because, you know, these types of attacks are, you know, they're only getting worse. So um, I think, you know, in the 12 months leading up to 30th of June, 2020, um, the Australian Cybersecurity Centre said that um, they'd responded to more than 2,000 cybersecurity incidents and even 450 of those um, targeted Australia's central government. Um, so, yeah, man, we're, we're dealing with a, a you know a real serious problem. And in, in relation to that, the government's saying that 35% of those incidents uh, that impacted critical infrastructure um, delivering essential services, um, and they were saying that the people responsible for those attacks included like nation states or state-sponsored actors, uh, financially motivated criminals um, and motivated groups and terrorists or extremist groups, you know. So, mate, the, the types of um, threat actors that an organisation needs to look at uh, and, and sort of uh, defend against is just growing and getting harder and harder to, um, to yeah, deal with. So. Infrastructure is not ready for it. And, and honestly, I'd love to get your opinion on what's going on with talent and people, right? I mean, it's one thing to have kind of, you know, IT challenges, you know, that you need to navigate in terms of your infrastructure. And, um, but now you've got to now, you know, have a bunch of new sectors that, you know, have to now find talent to, to handle cyber threats that, you know, maybe weren't doing at the level of maturity they were, that they're going to need to do it now. So, you know, what, what's the talent, you know, situation in Australia these days? Yeah. And really good question, mate. And because of the almost, um, 
the pushing through of this type of legislation and the the enforcement uh, on organisations to be um, thinking about cyber risk. What that's actually meant is that we are totally um, under uh, resourced in terms of those skilled um, professionals to be able to deal with these types of threats. Um, There is definitely um, a need for more cyber skills in Australia. And just looking at some of the the reports coming out in terms of spend in Australia at the moment. So this thing that um, roughly in 2020, the spend um, on Australian business in cyber security was around about 5.6 billion. Um, And that was made up of a mix of both local... um, um, skilled workers and using international providers as well. But they're talking about that growth over the next four years, that's a jump up to 7.6 billion. Um, and we just, we definitely don't have um, those types of resources uh, across the board here in Australia. So we need to start, the government is spending millions of dollars um, in education and development in this sector to try and get more skilled resources in this particular area because Mate, as you know, like this, we were doing this stuff, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Right. Here we are still doing it. And, you know, in another 15 years, they'll still be trying to deal with it and trying to, you know, um, the, the, um, the risks, that the threats that are there, they just mould and change um, depending on the environment, how that sort of adapts. So the criminals will always look, I, I always use that term, the, you know, human nature will always find a way. If they want to go and, you know, commit fraud and make money, they'll find a way around it, you know. Like we saw, you know, in the financial sector and the stuff that they would just, just the, um, the ability of these uh, people to come up with ideas to thwart the defence mechanisms that the banking sector would put into place. Yeah. And these criminals would just find a way around that. It would just blow your mind and make the same sort of thing with this sort of stuff. They will, you know, they'll find a weakness in... In hardware, in a firewall, they'll find a weakness in a NAS um, box, and you know that hasn't been patched correctly. Or these holes in networks are everywhere, and they are hunting for those holes to try and find a way in. And it's just it'll be a it'll be a constant battle to um, to you know to keep them out. So it's just and and I would say that organisations have to stop thinking about if they will become a you know. A, a, a victim it's no they need to start thinking about okay we need to have a plan to deal with the incident when it happens because it will happen so yeah yeah it's as if like you know you need to have a plan when you find them in the network because they're already there right like it's exactly yeah uh man it's so bad and you know and if you guys are just kind of you know shining a light on certain things, you know, for, and kind of forcing it, that's, that's a really positive step, but it's going to take, it's going to be a long journey for, for some of those folks. What's the, what's the situation like at the, you know, the board level, like in terms of, and we talked about it a little bit, but are, you know, in the U S there's a lot of guidance around uh, public companies and the board of directors, um, you know, making sure they have enough understanding of the cyber risk or a cyber exposure, and almost to the extent where there's, I don't know if it ever really play out, but it is if like you need to almost translate cyber into dollars to help the board kind of understand the risk and the exposures. Um, you know, 
So you're seeing a lot of push here in the States around boards being aware and it's starting to feel like there could be a day where they'll start to ask the CISO and and the you know the the CIOs or, who are managing you know or have security under them around um, you know proving right like almost dictating what they want to hear from them and what they should be doing in their program and and it's getting kind of interesting. So what? Are you seeing that top-down kind of guidance coming from boards yet, or is it still they're still trying to figure out what's the expectation? Well, I think they're still trying to uh, figure out how big this this actual risk is. Well, although they do rank um, cybersecurity is definitely up there in the top three risks for Australian business, so they understand that there's that risk there, but don't understand, I guess the the steps that you would need to take to make sure you're mitigating those risks effectively. And, um, you know, there is that requirement on board directors to be accountable for that, you know, for risk and culture. Um, And you're always battling against, you know, anything in that compliance space, um, you know, investigations work, all that sort of stuff. It's, It's a cost to the business. And sometimes it's hard for businesses to see that return on investment. Um, until an actual incident happens. But as you'd know, Andy, like, and once they're in that network, um, you know, it's too late then, you know, once they're in, it's the the cost to the business then is going to be, you know, tenfold to what it was if you were sort of better prepared at the outset. Um, so I, I think I think board, um, board members need to be doing more in terms of, um, you know, putting steps in place to, to be better prepared, you know, having incident response plans, you know, education and training and making sure that they they put um, that culture of cyber risk into the organisation to make sure that everyone is thinking about it and everything that they do. Uh, it's just so important. You know, as you know, your, your employees are your biggest risk and, you know, a massive asset to the business as well, but they pose the biggest risk in terms of your, you know, your cyber. So, man, I, I do have a, I, I, you know, I've been managing kind of capabilities internally, you know, my last role as a CISO and everything. So I'm curious to get your take from a, you know, the consultant side of things where you're having to do data breach investigations as a consultant during COVID. Like, how was that? (laughs) Yeah, mate. Um, Yeah, it's difficult, uh, but obviously there's um, ways and means like I was talking at the start, you know, mate, you, you have to adapt to the environment to make things work, right? So you use technology where you can to um, to help assist you to work remotely. Um, and, you know, we don't have the, some in some instances, don't have the ability to, to travel physically to locations. So you do have to work remotely. But it's also, I think, mate, it's when, when I get engaged by a client, one of my key things that I'm trying to do from the outset is developing that relationship with that internal IT team because to be successful on that engagement, it's all about relationships. It's about building that, um, you know, it's not about, you know, finger pointing and saying, you didn't do your job right. It's about, hey, man, you've got this major incident happening. We are here to help you. Let's work together and smash it out of the park and make sure um, we're limiting the exposure for this business um, from this attack. But... You know, sometimes it's funny, like they don't realize that 
from an incident, when this incident happens, they think, oh, you know, we think something's happening. We're not sure. And then we come in and we start our investigation. We go, man, <laughs> these people have been in here for months and, you know, here's them exfiltrating the data out months ago and you have absolutely no idea that it's been going on, you know, like it's, it's, um, it can be sort of a bit of a scary scenario for them to, to, to see how bad um, that situation is. You know, when I was doing IR consulting, I always felt like, you know, in kind of you and your role and your team, right? You're, you're kind of like a SWAT team that, you know, almost doesn't have time to go to the gym and, and shoot at the range because you're always getting shot at every day, right? Like mm. most, mm. most like internal teams are working out every day. They look great in their TAC uniform, you know, mm. they go to the range, but they never get shot at, right? Or they're getting yeah. shot at and they don't, they don't hear the bullets buzzing by their head, right? Like That's right, yeah. <laughs> And meanwhile, your team probably doesn't have enough time to train because you're out getting shot at every day. So, yeah. you know, it's always interesting how uh, that, the dynamic of that. Um, but you mentioned adapting and, and, you know, I felt like, you know, as law enforcement professional, that's a major, you know, skill that you develop during your law enforcement time, right? I mean, every situation you're adapting because it's constantly changing. What other you know, skills that you, did you pick up in your law enforcement days, you know, that helped you that kind of come out, you know, um, in the work that you're doing now? Yeah. Well, uh, I'd say communication, mate. So, um, your ability to communicate at all levels. So, you know, when you're doing law enforcement, um, you know, coming back to that adaption thing, you know, you, you're kicking in a door doing a search warrant. Um, you have no idea what you're walking into. You know, even now we're doing um, warrants with government regulators and assisting them and you're walking through the door. We don't know what the hell we're walking into. Um, and I'm talking not just from the occupants and the threats that they they uh, would oppose back in law enforcement days, but I'm saying more in terms of the IT. Yeah. You know, I don't know what I'm necessarily walking into and what I'm going to have to deal with. And that's that ability to adapt to that sort of, um, you know, uh, environment is is critical and 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 being able to um, walk in and understand and take control and and prioritize and um, and and put a game plan together very quickly as to what you need to do to um, to get success um, on on site so the other thing was communication so your ability to go in there and, and communicate to the board uh, communicate to your IT internal IT teams to communicate to Whoever it might be, the regulator, um, their communication is is critical. What what about um, yeah, dude, hundred percent, man. I pre- I love the way you laid that out. I'm actually impressed that you're actually still getting to go in on warrants. I mean, I, I mean, I, I would lose it if I was like going through a door right now. I'd be the and then way too long. Um, so yeah, you stay but, frosty, man. Yeah, exactly, brother. Exactly. You'll hear that at the end of the show for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, dude, that, that's really cool. So, you know, what about like, you know, when you start thinking about like taking charge or prioritization, um, but like, you know, when you're getting a breach scenario, it's like being out, you know, you could be working this stuff for weeks, you know, the stress level's high um, mm-hmm. and not everybody's kind of, you know, been through the ringer in terms of like pushing their mind and body to limits that, you know, uh, maybe a law enforcement or someone in the military, you know, would have done. Right. And mm. how are you managing, you know, helping people kind of manage the crisis 
um, and the creature comforts that they lose during an incident like that, where they're, you know, the guy in it is no longer leaving at five, going and see the kids and having dinner. He's like stuck at work, working all night, right. Things are different, right. And your team's sort yeah. of burning out. Right. So how are you managing, you know, the, um, kind of the burnout factor with your team and also, um, with your clients during those big incidents? Yeah, and a really good question, mate. And, and it is difficult, mate. Um, don't get me wrong. It's you're you're on the clock. Um, you're under the pump. The the client sort of, the, especially you know, the executive leadership team are wanting to know answers. You know, yesterday they don't want to wait till tomorrow. Um, so you're trying to get that information flow happening um, as quickly as possible. And uh, mate, it's. Yeah, it's it's it is really important that you get, you've got to manage your internal team um, that you're working with, and it is hard, and you do push your team to the limits sometimes uh, in terms of what you need them to do, because um, you know you're you're running against the clock. So, in terms of managing, I'd just I'd probably say I'd come back to um, you're trying to get everyone on the same page, trying to you know let them know what the game plan is, what we're trying to work towards. You're giving everyone their specific tasks that they need to be doing, and and you know the importance of why they're doing that task, um, and working towards that sort of ultimate goal. Um, so I'd just say, mate, relationships, um, building those relationships, uh, you know, trying to build up that rapport, especially you know with those internal IT teams, because yeah. you need them on side, right, mate? If they're not giving you the information you need, um, if they're stuffing you around, then that just means that your engagement um, is pretty much going to fail um, or not be as successful as it could be. So you need to make sure you get that engagement from, from those internal IT people or, or the, you know, whoever it is, whoever those people are that you need that information from. So do you, do you find that the, yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. You know, like, do you, do you find that the stress level of an, of an incident um, as it from the consultant, you know, to the internal team, um, is it different now when you're working it entirely remotely as opposed to like being on site in the CEO's office every two hours? Like what's that dynamic? And like, is the stress level higher or lower? Cause you're not actually like face to face in person with, with everybody. Yeah, I think, well, I guess people work differently, but I'm very much like I'd much prefer to be on site to be there, um, to have those face-to-face conversations, um, to be able to sort of be there to answer those questions. And, you know, if you're there, it means that if the client needs to come in and check in and ask you anything, you're right there. Um, so I think it gives them that comfort that you're, um, you know, you're doing everything that you need to be. Working remotely, they just don't have that visibility. Even if you're working your, your butt off um, to, to get the result for them, they just don't get that uh, visibility of it as much so um but you know you, you're still trying to check in as much as you can um you know with the executive team to to keep them abreast of what's happening but definitely if i can be on site mate that's that's a yeah it's a much better position to be in you move things quicker you know get get um, tasks done quicker grab people as you need them and so we need to grab this, we need to do this, we need to pull this server out, we need to disconnect this, whatever it might be. You're not sort of trying to jump on phone calls and send emails. So Yeah, and everyone's kind of fully engaged and immersed in the incident as opposed to like hopping from like 
a zoom call during the incident. And then like, I'm going to go pick up the kid, you know, you can do something with it. Like, go, go eat lunch. Like, you know, all it's so different. Yeah, man. Just hang up, the, yeah. hang up the zoom call and run into your family. Right. Like it's, uh, it's different. Yeah. And I think mate, just the other point is that they've got to understand that as soon as one of these incidents happen, it's not business as usual anymore. It's like, You've still got business as usual tasks probably that, you know, an IT person needs to deal with. But, mate, you need to come to this realization very quick that you are no longer just dealing with business as usual. You, you, you've got to step it up big time. Um, and, you know, if, if they don't have the ability to, to put that time and energy into it, you need to address that very quickly with senior management. And then um, I, I guess pull in some other resource from somewhere else to help assist with that. Um, because if you still operate at the same business as usual um, momentum, man, you're just not going to get anywhere with that job. It's going to, it's yeah. going to fail. Well, man, I, I, I love your insight. I can't wait to uh, finish this up. We got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, man. You know, we got to pay the bills around here. You know what I mean? <laughs> no worries. I'm hearing you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Don't go away folks. We'll be right back with more from our, from partner at quarter Mentha forensic in Australia, Mr. Brendan Reed. You're listening to task force seven radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with partner Quartermint, the forensic in Australia. My buddy from down under, Mr. Brendan Reed. All right, dude, we're finishing up the show. And I love when I get folks like you on, I, I, I'm always interested in getting your advice. Um, you know, as we know, talent is everyone's number one operating priority. I don't care mm. where you live, what you do. If it's not, it should be. Um, and with the, the growth that's happening in Australia and cyber right now, I'm guessing there's a lot of folks from the you know, military or law enforcement that are looking to make a transition. And, and you know, I, I'd love to hear your take on what advice would you give them, you know, you know, as they're looking to make that shift from public service to uh, the business environment. Yeah, Andy, I look, I'd, I'd very much um, say that uh, it, it's not a bad move uh, in any, um, in any aspect. Like for me, it's just been a, um, a, a great move and, I just, it does take time to adjust to that uh, private sector environment, um, you know, how things operate, uh, understanding the nuances of the private sector. But um, in terms of career growth, um, um, learning, um, you know, and, and just enhancing your career opportunities that are out there, that you're just going to get those amazing opportunities in the private sector. Um, one of the things for me was, um, you know, just, you know, the access that I had to in terms of uh, tools and technology, um, you know, it just, you know, working for the police was um, fantastic, but um, I just had such a, an, you know, access to such amazing um, budget to, to spend on, on tech, you know, to fit out a lab, um, to be able to, you know, you know, use that tech out on, on site on various jobs, which is um you know, very advantageous. So, look, I, I'd say yeah, for anyone that's looking at it, they, they should definitely, um, you know, if it's something that they're interested in and they're motivated and they're hardworking, then, yeah, man, I, I'd, uh, I wouldn't hesitate to, to make that jump. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. I had, a, I had an advisor tell me when I was leaving the Secret Service and I was getting ready to leave and, you know, I was like, man, I don't know. And he's like, well, how did you do in your, you know, your, you know, at the police department? I was like, oh, I went pretty well. He's like, how was it in the Secret Service? I, like, oh, I think it went pretty well. He's like, what do you think is going to happen when you leave? <laughs> you know, I was <laughs> like, yeah, I guess that makes a lot of sense, right? Like, I think I, you know, I probably give myself a little more credit, <laughs> right? It's obviously worked out for you, but it's not mm. for everybody, right? But you know, I'm glad, I'm glad it's worked out, man. Um, mm. You know, so you know. I guess like, you know, what are you looking for? I mean, you kind of talked about the motivations, but like when you're hiring people um, in general, right? Like everybody's smart. Everybody's got, uh, 
you know, a certification or advanced degrees, you know, and you and I, you know, we came out of kind of, we kind of got a PhD and something you couldn't go to school for. So we were kind of lucky mm-hmm. there. Um, but like, what, what do you tell people, like, what are you looking for when you're hiring um, folks and kind of like to help separate themselves? Like, what are those things that you look for as a leader um, bringing, bringing talent into your teams that, you know, don't always come out on a resume? Yeah. Yeah. Really good question, mate. Look, um, the one word I would say is passion and you've got to be passionate about what you're doing. And that, that passion will drive so many different things. It'll drive your ability to stay focused on the job at those times when, you know, you're doing the long hours in the middle of the night, that passion, um, for, you know, wanting to continue to learn and study, um, because, you know, in this field, man, as you know, it just changes so much and, you know, the stuff that was relevant, um, 10, 15 years ago may not be so relevant now. And there's other things that we needed to learn and, you know, to stay abreast of in terms of technology and um, forensics and that sort of thing. So passion, mate, um, they've got to be passionate. And, you know, people will, you know, come in for a job interview and they'll have a degree, you know, as you pointed out, they'll, you know, there's a lot of smart people out there have gone and studied and, but yeah, mate, that's what I look for is that passion. If they're sitting there and they're, you know, you know that, when they finish their their day in the office, they go home and they'll just keep wanting to learn and, and wanting to um, just get better at what they do um, and just, yeah. Uh, so, mate, I'd say passion. That's yeah. a big thing. I, I, I love it. I love it. It's so important. You know, like this job is like, you know, they can be – the grind, you know, and it, to some extent there, these jobs are a calling. And, um, you know, I feel like, you know, if you buy into that mission, you know, and you, you rally around it, man, like you could, you could spend every waking moment, um, you know, focused on it. So it's, it, there is some balance or I don't know, balance is even a real thing anymore, but, you know, mm-hmm. being able to like, you know, manage your well being um, is a really important part of, you know, that because, you know, that passion can go take you the other way too, right? Where you're so, because yeah. so, it becomes so fun um, and all the things you're working on. So, so I guess before we, before we wrap up, man, I'm curious, you know, the, the motivations of the attacks that, you know, at least the cases that we were working years ago when we were partnered up, you know, we're very financially motivated. And, you know, now with, you know, nations competing at a, you know, really aggressive levels, you know, are you see the types of cases that you're responding to? Is there a certain motivation that you find is kind of coming up? Is it still financially motivated? Is it IP theft? You know, like what what's the thing that you're getting? You're kind of getting called in to deal with the most. Yeah, mate. I'd still say like financial is still definitely up there, mate, because um, you got some uh, very organised um, criminal networks out there that are looking to obviously profit off this sort of crime. But, um, you know, to your point, you're also seeing other things that step outside of the financial um, aspect in terms of um, that IP theft. So um, where you've got uh, companies that are, you know, might be coming up for uh, some sort of acquisition or they're trying to sell. um, And then you've got uh, a third party that's coming in either to try and get an, an idea of what's, happening under the hood um, that may not be reported in any of the information that's come across or um, an organization that might try and target uh, someone who's selling the company to suffer a major um, cyber incident. So it helps to, 
perhaps drop the value of the company if they're trying to purchase it as well. So I've definitely seen um, those types of scenarios sort of play out. So it's not always just, um, I, I guess, someone trying to, you know, squeeze the, the client for money uh, in terms of like a ransomware attack. So it definitely goes, um, it goes beyond that. So organizations um, and senior leaders need to be thinking about that. But then also um, they need to be thinking about their own internal uh, staff, right? So, you know, are my staff, do they have the ability to walk out with trade secrets and, you know, all this really highly confidential stuff that's going to just totally burn my company? So how do you manage those sorts of threats as well? You know, you know that's the new frontier now, right? Everything's uh, digital and how do I protect those digital assets as much as possible? Um, and, it, yeah, it does apply to your internal teams and, and, and in terms of your you know, your IT administrators and network administrators, you know, these people who have the keys to the kingdom in terms of your your data assets, you know, those people now, mate, they're, yeah. they're, they're pretty important in an organization, right? So <laughs> what happens if they become disgruntled, right? And I've, and I've dealt with these with big corporates where, you know, I remember a few years ago, I, I uh, got a phone call just before Christmas and had to fly in to another country to help out because their network uh, administrator decided, you know, he wasn't happy with what was going on in the business. So um, he decided to lock all the other network administrators out and, uh, and basically held the business to ransom. So, Man. mate, you, yeah, it's, these are the scenarios now that are being dealt to these, um, these corporate organizations. And it's just, it's scary, right? It's scary. And it's, it's just one of those things we now have to adapt to all these different types of threats, you know? Yeah, brother. Well, man, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, no worries, mate. It's, it's awesome to, uh, to have a chance to catch up with you, mate, and have a chat about this stuff. Uh, it's great. It's awesome. All right, brother. We got to do it again soon. I know you got to roll up and out of here. So do we. All right, folks, it's time to bounce up and out of here. But before I go, I want to remind our listeners to visit the Cybersecurity Hub and get a recap of tonight's show and get other up-to-date cybersecurity breaking news at cshub.com. That's the Cybersecurity Hub at cshub.com. Don't forget to visit aliveshoes.com slash Task for task dash force dash seven to get your own pair of the new TF seven sneakers. I'm super pumped about these folks. You got to get a pair. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to task Force seven radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to task Force seven radio to learn more about task Force seven radio please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.